for a long time people always said they go I love you I love your headshots you just capture something in the eyes and it took me a while at the beginning I, I used to think oh they're obviously the catch light or the it's the reflector or the you know they're talking about that but they, they were talking about life and they were talking about an essence of emotion or character um, and it's always the the most common feedback I get is oh there's something in the eyes of your shot and that's that's the biggest compliment to me because that's what I strive to, to get is that connection. Graham Dargy here and this is the Viewfinders Photography Podcast where we dive into the thoughts of some of the best photographers in the world. Well I'm here in Dreich, Aberdeen, Scotland and today my guest is one of my current favourite photographers, someone whose work is having a big influence on my photography right now, Nicholas Docks. We'll meet Nick in a minute but first how's things? Hope you're well. Uh, I'm doing good. I've been busy the last couple of weeks just trying to catch up and get ahead of the podcast. So recording episodes, editing episodes, doing all the back end that comes along with it. Also working on some new ideas for the Viewfinder community that's building around the show. So hopefully I'll have something new to announce on that front very soon. Also, uh, we're just away for a couple of days this week uh, with family. So nothing fancy, but you know, after the last couple of years that we've had, Seems like any little change of scene is welcome. So nothing much to report here, but really looking forward to getting that little recharge that we all need. How about you? What have you been up to? I'd love to connect with you. So you can find me on Instagram at Viewfinders Podcast. And while you're on the internet, why not check out the Viewfinders website to find all the previous episodes with some amazing guests like... George Steinmetz, Greg Heiser, Valda Bailey, Howard Schatz, Paul Sanders, Audrey Woolard, Mark Wilson, Dylan Nardini, Marcel Van Osten, and many, many other amazing photographers from all over the world. They're all here on the Viewfinders podcast. So check those out on the Viewfinders website. And you can also find out about upcoming live events and everything else connected with the show. Okay, on to this week's episode. Nicholas Docks is one of London's best and most in-demand headshot photographers and is probably the photographer who's influencing my work the most right now. I'll say more about that in the episode, but I was really excited to talk with Nick, get into his work, and as is always the most important thing on this show, uncover what he's thinking when he picks up the camera. The conversation is quite wide-ranging, covering Nick's background as an actor, how he fell into headshot photography during a Shakespeare rehearsal, Uh, We go in depth on a couple of headshot sessions as well as covering influences, lighting styles, equipment and so much more. Usually before I start each of my interviews I take a screenshot of me and the guest on our video call which I share on Instagram and we pick up the interview just as I'm about to take that photo. Hope you enjoy this. Here's my conversation with Nicholas Docks. Uh, Usually I take a picture. Do you mind if I do a screenshot? Go for it. Both of us and then I'll share it on the webs. Um, okay, three, two, one, go. Oh, I messed up. I think I pressed the wrong button. <laughs> hey, I always press the wrong button on that. And I don't know about you being a photographer. Uh, when everyone, any, anyone says I'll take a photo of you, I freak out and I do this face. Yeah, that's the oh, one. Just, I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, cool. Okay, um, Nick Docks, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thanks. It's a, uh, a privilege to be here. Thanks for uh, taking the time. It's great. It's it's my privilege. I I have to start by saying I've had so much, so many great guests on the podcast, 
and I've been lucky to talk to some real heroes, you know. Um, the, but you're sort of my hero of right now. Um, there's, <laughs> there's never been a, someone that I've spoken to who's been as pertinent to me in the place where I'm at in my career right in this moment. So I'm really excited oh, to well, talk to you. you. Yeah, I, I just think you're phenomenal at what you do. I'm really interested to unpack some of um, your approach and just hear about your journey in general. So Good, good. Well, you you might regret trying to unpack my brain, but let's see. Let's see where it goes. <laughs> okay, no worries. I'm going to try. I'm excited. So I'm going to try not to get in my own way and, and fluff the whole thing. So here we go. Um, so, okay, we're talking about headshot photography today. So I thought yeah. for people listening, it, would, it might be good to start by defining what's a casting headshot, what that is versus a family portrait, an editorial portrait, a passport photo. When we're talking about headshots today, what is a headshot and what makes it a headshot? Can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah, I think this is this is where it comes down to a lot uh, with people not really kind of understanding the difference. And I get it a lot with clients who come in, uh, especially younger actors come in and they say, well, you know, it's a lot of money to get headshots done. And my, my uncle's a wedding photographer and he said he'd do some some shots of me and and he did and then they show me and I go, well, that's, but it's not a casting headshot. I think there's a big difference between between a portrait and a, and a casting photo and a lot of it comes down to it, it has to be an honest representation of you as a person and as an actor uh, but it also has to reflect your casting in some degree as well um, especially now in the, in the era we live in now especially for tv and film I think a lot of people are getting cast a lot closer to themselves whereas 10 20 years ago it was more about your craft and being an actor and becoming a character it's a very oversaturated market. So people have found, and a lot of my clients, a lot of actors are finding actually they are being cast a lot closer to themselves now than they used to be. Uh, and that's where your headshot comes in because you want to reflect that a little bit. And I love when you think back, you know, even 20, 20 something years ago when I started doing headshots, it was, uh, it was still everyone had that one black and white headshot. They were normally crouched in a in a park somewhere and it was taken from just above eyeline, looking up doughy eyed into a camera. And that was a headshot. You know, it was simple. Mm-hmm. It was a 10 by 8 black and white headshot of someone. And it, it didn't really say anything, but it was just a picture of your face. Uh, and I think with the with the digital means now and, you know, in the UK, we have Spotlight as our main portal for casting. The way that Spotlight works it is very image central and the casting process has become very very based on your look and uh, when a casting director is looking at their spotlight portal they're just looking at you know 100 200 faces on a screen so for me it's about capturing an, an essence of of you and your and your character and your casting and and it's the way I work and it's kind of I think for me it's the forefront of what I do as well it's not about the technical aspect as much it's not you know, I'm I'm a technical photographer, but I don't let that get in the way of actually capturing an emotion or something behind the eyes. And I've got some amazing, amazing peers and friends who are photographers who are very, very good, brilliant technical photographers, way, way, way beyond what I could ever be on the technical front. But I look at their images and as beautiful as they are, I don't always get that message behind the eyes and I don't get that sense of... Um, I guess engagement is what we look for in, as humans. Mm-hmm. We look to, to to trust someone or to... It's the fight or flight when we look at a picture of someone. 
you know, how do we feel? Do we want to run away? Do we want to embrace them? You know, do we want to try and marry them? What what goes on? And that is, uh, I think that's the essence of a good headshot for me, is capturing something that will draw the viewer in and just just give them a feeling of some kind. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a long <laughs> it's a long winded uh, answer, but you're you're a headshot photographer. And I I mean, how do you feel about about that that question for you? Like, how does it? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm newer to it than you are, so I'm still, I'm, I'm getting to that. I, I think empathy is really important with it. To, um, trust is really important to, to build a connection. You said engagement. I think that's always the most important thing mm-hmm. with a portrait. And, um, I was, I can think of, um, a shot of, I can't, I think it, maybe it was Marco Grob. I'm not sure. Someone had photographed Steve Jobs and it was like the last studio shot that he did. And it's it's a very simple shot. There's a behind-the-scenes video on the internet. It's like a one-minute shoot. You know how these guys mm. get with these high-level people. Yeah. But the image is so engaged. And I, I guess maybe because he was near the end of his life, that was part of it. But that engagement is kind of everything in it. You know, you can have all the technical around it, um, which we'll talk about as well. But, yeah, I, that's the thing, is to try and engage people. And in the midst of everything that you have to do running the shoot with the lighting and trying not to trip over things and the tethering and it's these that can sometimes fall through the cracks but you must always engage people so it's the most important thing sometimes the the trickiest thing it might be easier for you i use a real people person i think very outgoing from what i can see um so well i've i've had to learn it's funny you say about you know tripping over things and one of the things i've learned over the years is is never to show the client that anything's going wrong and if you i think if you speak to any top photographer that is always going to be the case it's you know a light falls over and makes a crash whilst the client's getting changed and they go is everything okay and you're like yeah do that 10 times a day you know you never show (laughs) that something has gone wrong because it puts people on edge and that's what i've always been aware of and i i think empathy is a great word for that of, of putting yourself in the client's shoes and trying to look at everything from their point of view because I you know I can be loud and I can be outgoing um, but I will never be that if someone walks in very quiet I'm never going to thrust that upon them because it puts them on the back foot so Mm -hmm. I've learned over the years to just temper my uh, my kind of charisma to what the client's doing when they walk in the room and then you can warm them up and then they'll feel a bit more confident but the funny thing is, and you'll know this shooting actors yourself, that when people ask me what I do for a living, I say I'm a, I shoot actors' headshots. And they go, oh, wow, what a job. How easy is your job? <laughs> they love having their photo taken. And I go, you have to be kidding me. There is, you could take any other, you know, business and sector in the world and they would prefer having their photo taken more than an actor um Mm -hmm. even corporate photography which i've done quite a lot of over the years you know they don't like it but they quite like being the center of attention in in some small way and being on camera even Mm -hmm. if they say oh i don't know but but actors i think because the essence of what they do is being other people when they come for a headshot shoot they suddenly feel bare and naked and that they they have to show themselves for themselves and it's a really really difficult place to be so the key with any session for me is is actually at the beginning trying to get them to a comfortable place where they trust me um i always want to find out about them 
on a human level, I want to find out about them. So I always do my research and I, you know, I look, I look them up and I watch their show reels and I do that level of research. So when they walk in, I'm not just a guy about to take their photo. I have a vested interest in them. Um, and I think that relationship forms quite early in the shoot so that then they feel that they can open up and they can trust you a bit more. Uh, and it, it just allows you to take the shoot to different places uh, and they, they're on board in a way. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, if you just come straight in and say, right, great, put that red top on, let's go. It's very static. You don't get any real emotion from that, I don't think. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll come back to the the, the shooting part of it. But mm. I, usually I start with... Um, I'm interested in people's kind of journey and photography, how they came to it. Do you remember when you first got into photography or when photography first uh, got into you? I can remember. So I've always had a camera in my hand, really, um, from a young age. Lots of filmmaking when I was a kid, you know, stealing stealing my dad's um, VHS camcorder and then his Hi8 camcorder and just making little short films and things. So then out of that, I actually went to train as an actor I became an actor so I was an actor for about four or five years okay. after leaving drama school but always continued the filmmaking um mainly because I was a jobbing out of work actor so and I had lots of actor friends so we'd get together we'd make short films I'd send stuff off of film festivals and then I started getting into a little bit of stills photography and I was on tour with a camera I was doing it we were doing just a tech rehearsal just a kind of dress rehearsal for a Shakespeare but it was outdoors in a in a big castle in in the south of England and we had a load of downtime and one of the actors in the show said oh do you ever take headshots with that and it I said, well, no, I'd obviously had a couple of headshot shoots as an actor. I said, no, I, I could do you some headshots if you want. We've got, you know, we've got half an hour. So, you know, I grabbed a, I can't remember what I grabbed. I think I grabbed some kind of shiny reflective thing as a, as a bounce board. And I took some headshots of this actor down the side of a castle in Kent. And uh, he sent them to his agent and his agent came back. And he was with one of the top three agents in London at the time. Um, and his agent came back and said, these, these are great headshots. Who took them? quite like sending some other clients to him at which point I kind of hit the floor and went oh what do I do um okay um and then obviously off the back of that all the other actors having heard that in the cast all said do my headshot do my headshot so I instantly had about 10 or 15 people whose headshots I had to take uh and then I finished that tour and I thought actually I really enjoyed that I enjoyed the interaction I think on a deeper level I'd always thought that I would I would go and train to be an actor. And then at some point I would transition into being a director. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, there were so many great actor directors that I'd looked up to over the years. And I thought that's the kind of path I want to go down. And then suddenly this, this whole headshot thing encompassed everything that I wanted to do. I got to create scenarios. I got to direct people. I got to, you know, meet different actors. Every day was a different scene, a different scenario. So it kind of all fed into, into one thing. And then I kind of also realized that, I didn't have to, whereas in the previous past stuff with the short films and things, you had to rely on all these DOPs and art directors mm-hmm. and people I had to get on board. Suddenly I didn't have to worry about anyone else. I got to set it up. I got to light it. I got to shoot it and I got to edit it and I could have a final product all there that I had creative control of. And it was just mm-hmm. a really magical little thing. Um, so that, that tour, I finished that tour as an actor and I never acted again. And that was it. Okay. And I, okay. I, put it out to all my actor friends and said, who wants a headshot? Uh, do your headshot, you know, 25 quid or 50 quid come to the flat in London and we'll do some headshots. And it just spiraled from there. And then, 
here we are today. Yeah, that's great. So did you do any other kind of photography on that journey or you just stayed within the Yeah, I think it, it's always mainly been headshots, but I think as you do, you you dabble in all sorts of bits and pieces over the years. And I've shot weddings and I've shot corporate and product photography. My first studio that I got was a you know, big complex of studios. So there was hundreds of businesses in the building and they would come to me and say, oh, could you shoot this or could you... You know, I did. I remember doing a, I remember doing a catalogue for perfume shop one year, and I was sat in my studio in the dark for three weeks with I think three hundred perfume bottles, mm-hmm. and it was at that point I thought I, I'm not a product photographer. Yeah. I respect product photographers. I think they're incredible what they do, but I need human interaction. I can't. I can't talk to a bottle of Dior perfume. <laughs> it just doesn't answer back to me. So, um, so you have. I, I think every photographer has the same thing. They go through this journey. They try things. You take skills from all of those things, and then you find what you're comfortable in and what your niche. Um, so yeah I was very lucky that the kind of first thing that that I fell in love with photography wise has remained to be my favorite thing but it's taken me various places over the years definitely Mm -hmm. and then the corporate stuff you you did a bit of that yeah I do and I still do every now and again if people get in touch and they want some bits and pieces um, I don't mind corporate shoots I think for what from what I was talking about before sometimes going into a corporate environment is quite refreshing mm-hmm. I think they don't carry as much as much baggage with them you know you get actors coming and they've had terrible experiences with previous headshots and they you know my last headshot photographer did this the one before this did this whereas corporate people come in and they kind of feel a bit flattered sometimes mm-hmm. so so it's quite refreshing. I've got one coming up in a couple of weeks. It's just nice to get out of the studio sometimes and go and go and do a bit of that. But it's it's generally all actors, really. Okay, I wanted to dig into developing your own style because when I see your images, they're very striking. But what I love to see is the behind the scenes. Uh, clips that you do I, I love them I'm watching them in slow motion and I'm frame by frame I'm picking apart what's going on in the background and what all the <laughs> lights are doing and stuff and I love that stuff um, so I wondered let me frame it this way photography can have a lot of rules you know you think of headshot photography particularly or, or portrait photography you're going to have a big soft box over here and a reflector under there mm-hmm. and maybe like a strip light and a, and a background you're way not working like that. And I think it's, it's it's so creative. I learned from you how creative you can be in this niche, which seems like a tight niche, but within just that head and shoulders shot, you seem to have a lot of flex. So um, I wondered, I mean, that I guess your style would have evolved over years. But um, can you can you talk about having that creative freedom if if you had to give yourself some kind of permission to go outside of just that clamshell kind of thing that is the done thing, or maybe not so much now, but would have been a few years ago. Um, is my question making sense? Can you talk yeah, about your, no, if you have a creative yeah. journey towards your style? Yeah, I think, I think because I didn't formally train, I didn't go to photography school and I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the stuff I learned, certainly back in the early days, you know, people like David Hobby and Strobist stuff, which I know you probably, I think you're a bit mm-hmm. of a, you David Hobby fan, but um, that kind of stuff, Zach Arias as well was a big inspiration 20 years ago. You know, they were doing all this kind of, um, you know, mixing, mixing flashlight with natural light, which 
it, it used to be a lot more that it was you're either studio light or you're outdoors yeah. and these guys kind of brought these speed lights and this small format lighting into natural light and i just love that mix um and still now 95 percent of what i shoot is mixed light but it it's not with any rules or boundaries. I, I look at an image, I think, from an artist point of view. I'm trying to kind of paint something. So I don't think about the technicalities and the, the format of it. I get a client. I have a picture in my head. I set up the client where I think that light is going to work best, whether it be natural light. And then I'll just add bits around them. And as, you, as you've probably seen from my behind the scenes, it's, it's quite my studio is quite organic. You know, I love using random backgrounds and mirrors and, you know, bits of rusty texture and stuff, stuff that I find in skips. I've got jokes with me and some of my other photographer friends that, you know, I'm always the guy rummaging through a skip to try and find a bit of old wood to shoot against and mm-hmm. things like that, which I love. And I, part of me, I think the the rebel in me wanted my style to be like that and be more organic because so many of the photographers that I would watch and admire were all about gear they were all about spending you know 500 quid on this new background or they've bought this for this much money and it was all about the cost and what new gear they've got and I was trying to I think rebelliously prove a point that you can do all of that with minimal budget Mm -hmm. you don't it's all about the the vision and trying to create the the image rather than what gear you're using a lot of the time so a lot of the stuff I shoot in the studio, it's it's fairly simple gear. It's speed lights and things like that. It's not overly complicated, but it's about what you do with it. And trying not to fall into the the format, or like you say, of just a clamshell setup and things like that. It's mm-hmm. it's about trying to create something a little bit different sometimes. And and I'm inspired a lot by by film lighting as well, and that mm-hmm. kind of that more cinematic style of lighting, I think, appeals to me a lot more. Mm-hmm. You were mentioned um, Zach and David Hobby. Any other influences from that time or other times? Because that that would be the same area that I learned up in as well. I mean, there's there's all those kind of American photographers who were big on social media, Joe McNally and people like that, um, who I really admired. I think as as the years have gone on, I I don't look up to people as as much, and that's not mm-hmm. because I feel that I'm at that level at all. But I just don't. I, I think I try and forge my own path. I know that certainly back then I was trying to, I was trying to be Zacharias and I was trying to be those other photographers. And you could see it in my early style that it was shooting exactly what they're shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I, yeah, I don't, I don't tend to follow many people. I, I love photographers. Like you mentioned Marco Grove earlier, like his stuff is, is incredible. I think his, his light subtraction is absolutely phenomenal. Mm. And that's a real inspiration. Um, so I, I love photographers like that. And I know, uh, certainly from a UK headshot photographer point of view, you've had John Clark on here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's a phenomenal photographer. What he shoots and the way that he, he can control light is quite incredible. Um, so his style is quite amazing. But yeah, I think I don't really tend to, tend to follow. Like I feel embarrassed sometimes when people go, oh, have you seen so-and-so's work? And I think, I haven't even heard of that. I don't know who that person is. <laughs> Should I know that person? Um, yeah, I, I do understand what you mean, though. I think there's a time you're learning the rules and there's a time where you're kind of abandoning the rules in a way. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Um, so I know I was seeing a West Side Story recently 
and the cinema cinematographer that uh, Steven Spielberg worked with. I don't remember his name. It's terrible. But um, he's just phenomenal. Like Steven Spielberg's worked with this guy for a long time. And um, like the lights are just in the shot. Like a lot of the time the lights are just in the shot. And um, that's that kind of abandonment of rules i think it's it's so freeing you know so that's one of the things that i've i really inspired about your work because is there's things in there and around there that quote unquote shouldn't maybe be in there but the freedom to work and find something that i don't know if you're just having fun how much you're having fun and how much you're purposely trying to create that distinct style but it's working probably both work together i guess Mm. to to, to move you forward there's there was a time as well when when i wouldn't you know i wanted nothing distracting in the background of my images mm-hmm. and that's not that long ago if you jump back i don't know eight ten years you know my my images were very clean the idea of having anything distracting in the background was um it felt painful and again i think coming from those you know photographers i admired they had very clean shots uh and then it just i think it slowly crept in and shooting outdoors, you know, I looked at my images when I used to shoot outdoors a lot. And the images I started to like were the ones that had a little bit of something in the background or a lamppost and things like that. And it slowly fed into into what I shoot now. And some, mm-hmm. you know, some, some of my shots are really, really busy. And some of them are really simple and really plain. And I, 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 again, going back to the, the client, I think it's based on what the client wants mm-hmm. and what their casting is. And that's why that, that sitting down with a client and discussing their needs is really important at the beginning of a shoot because I'm not, I don't set a single thing up until I've had a discussion at the beginning of the shoot. So mm-hmm. while the client's cha- changing or getting their clothes out, then I'll go and set up because actually I don't have the same setup with everyone. Every day is different. Every shoot is different. And I think for the two reasons, A, because everyone deserves something different and they should have a different look based on their casting but also I'd get really bored if I shot the same thing every day and I admire those photographers who have one setup and they just kind of run people through their studio all the time on that one setup because mm. you know they're going to be retired in about three years I think because it's yeah. such a simple thing you could you could shoot six seven eight clients a day um, but I think I would just get really bored pretty quick and mm-hmm. I would think I would fall out of love with what I do let's um jump into the the shoot itself i was wondering what your goals are at the shoot and i I was glad to hear that you have a chat with the client to start with so i and another thing that i've seen london headshot photographers talk about is people's brand you know or maybe it's another way of seeing their casting type so when you're having that chat with somebody at the beginning of a session what are you really trying to uncover in that chat yeah i think i use the word brand a lot uh because I think it's one thing actors don't think about. They're so busy most of the time, A, just trying to get a job, but being being a creative, they don't think of themselves as a product. And so that's something I try and instill in people is actually what mm. on a, if you went into a supermarket and you saw a load of tins on a shelf and, you know, you got baked beans, cannelloni beans, whatever, all these beans, and then there's a blank one and you don't know what it is, mm-hmm. you're never going to pick it. So actually, what's your brand? What are you saying? What's going to jump out on the shelf? And and most people, I say most people actually, probably 50% of clients have a rough idea. It's pretty good. But there is 50% who have not even thought about it. Mm-hmm. And what I actually do is when people book in with me, I've got something on my booking system, which sends a survey out to them. And it's just a seven step survey. So it asks you questions and it's just tick boxes about what your casting is. And so 
all of my clients when they book in they go through and they do that so you know what's your playing age what out of all of these words and say the 20 words pop up on the screen and you just click the boxes what describes your casting you know what areas do you want to go into is it tv and film so they fill out this thing just to get their brain thinking a little bit mm-hmm. so that when they walk in the door they've got a rough idea um and that's that's really important because like i said that's that then dictates where we go with the shoot and how we how we approach it because if you come to me and you say do you know what i'll or i just want to do commercials that's all I want to do. I'm a friendly dad and I want to do commercials. Then great. You know, we know exactly what we're going to do. We're going to do something bright and clean and friendly and approachable. Um, if you come to me saying I want to be in a Netflix drama, you know, dark, moody, serious Channel 4 murder series, then that's a whole different look. So it, it will always dictate where we go with it. Mm. And, and just going back to style, thinking about that, you know, I had a conversation with someone years ago, an older older photographer who'd been in a long time and he said what's your he said what's your style of photography and I said I don't have a style he said of course you've got a style I said no I don't have a style because I shoot everything I you know I'll shoot bright studio lit commercial shots and I'll shoot dark moody cinematic shots and he's going well you have to have a style and I was adamant and I think being a younger photographer this is probably about 15 years ago I was like no I'm not you can't put me in a box I can mm-hmm. <laughs> I can shoot anything um and I, as I look to my work now, it is still really varied at what I shoot. Um, but each different sector that I shoot has a style. It does have a style. And you probably see it from an outsider. It's probably easier than me looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think everyone finds their style eventually. It just took me a, a long time to find it and also realize what that was. Yeah, yeah. Gregory Heiser was saying, uh, not in my interview with Gregory Heiser, mm-hmm. uh, which I'll always name drop, because we're good <laughs> yeah. friends um but he was saying one time like I, people think of a style as a technique you know like that's the technique that you use but he's saying a technique is a technique a style is like your fingerprints it doesn't yeah. matter what techniques you're using like for him he's saying like my style will be on that photograph because it's yeah. come out of my brain you know yeah, yeah yeah and um i definitely see that with your with your work i mean whatever you're shooting and like you're seeing a range of different styles tailored to different people but mm. it's, de- it's definitely you there was an interesting i listened to that the the podcast you did with gregory and, and there was an interesting comment he said about portraits and um the difference between a photographer putting their stamp on someone and then just capturing someone as themselves, mm-hmm. you know, capturing, he said it much better than me, but um, uh-huh. capturing the essence of someone and then capturing the photographer in that person. Mm-hmm. And it really made me think, because actually a, a lot of what I do is me in the client. You know, it's me projecting like a director would. I'm kind of directing to get something out of them. Mm-hmm. So there's always going to be an element of me being pushed upon the client to get what I want from the shoot and from the scene, if we call it a scene. Mm-hmm. Um and then going back to your question earlier about is it, you know, what's what do you see a headshot being? I think it is something that is more, it's more controlled and it's more sculpted than a portrait. And I think I could take the difference between, for example, Steve Jobs being being photographed just before he died. He was a very charismatic man anyway. And mm-hmm. I think those characters, those certain people, you can just put in front of a camera and take a picture mm-hmm. and you'll always get something. It's the mm-hmm. X factor. It's that little bit of enigmatic energy. It just jumps out off the page and you, you don't have to do anything. Um, unfortunately, actors, a lot of the time, 
they rely on a puppeteer, um, mm. put them in front of a camera and a lot of actors will not necessarily have any charisma um, because they're looking for some kind of direction. Mm-hmm. It's very rare because I always start on a quite a, most clients, I'll start on quite a low key setup, something quite simple just to get a feel for them and put a lot of people just in front of the camera. They don't give you much. It, it's, it's almost too stripped back um, that it doesn't say anything. So I think for me, I find that I have to put a little bit of, I have to project a little bit of me and a little bit of direction on the client in order to get what is a, a casting shot rather than just capturing something, someone being, mm-hmm. because them just being doesn't always jump off the page. Not when it's up against all the other actors. They just look a lot of the time a bit bored. If I took a screenshot of you just being right now, mm-hmm. listening to me, then mm-hmm. it, it's not the most charismatic shot that we can get. Mm-hmm. With a bit of direction, we can get something that feels a bit more engaging. Mm-hmm. I think that's always really interesting, but you know, I'd love to just sit people down and capture them in their raw essence, but it's not, that's not a headshot. No, it's a portrait, right? It's a portrait. It's a a different thing. Yeah. So I was wondering if you have a different approach shooting a guy than you would shoot a girl. Do you have different boundaries around that or are you just treating everybody completely unique? I think, I think that's where a bit of direction comes down. Um, when it comes down to a bit of direction and, and just the the way you interact with those people, I find that there is, there is certain clients that will just put a barrier up straight away. Mm-hmm. You've probably seen it when they just does they don't give you anything. Mm-hmm. And no matter what you say, they just give you the same face over and over and over. And it's normally a slightly startled and scared face. Mm-hmm. Um, I've found over the years, a lot of the time, if you, you can bring in the clown factor which is where if I make a tit of myself, you will feel whatever you do will not be as stupid as what I've just done. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you probably see it in my behind the scenes stuff, you know, just being mm-hmm. stupid in front of clients allows them to be stupid, mm-hmm. allows them to, to be who they want. Um, so I find that helps sometimes if you get those, those clients that are that a little bit more shy, you can have a bit of a laugh with them. You can be a bit silly and then they loosen up and they end up kind of going, well, actually, no, actually, this is quite fun. This is this is not a serious thing. I can I can loosen myself off. But also, most of the time with clients, I give them characters during the shoot. Mm-hmm. And that allows them to not be themselves. Mm-hmm. So I say, right, Graham, get out. We, we don't want Graham here. You're Jeff. You know, mm-hmm. let's be Jeff. Jeff is. <laughs> but I'll give them a scenario as well. I'll feed yeah. that. I'll say, right, who is Jeff? Jeff is a vet and, you know, he he loves animals and he's friendly and he likes to you know, visit his nan at weekends and he paddle boards or whatever, like give them a scenario that allows them just to become someone else. Mm -hmm. And then they stop being paranoid about Graham looking stupid and they're more worried about Jeff. I say the same thing when clients are choosing headshots as well after the shoot, when they're looking at gallery, I say, well, don't look for Graham, try and find Jeff, try and Mm -hmm. find Steve, try and find, you know, think like a casting director and find these different people. Cause I think it really helps, but, but there's always going to be clients who are, um, are more reserved and, and scared to come out of their shell. Mm -hmm. So there isn't, there's never a right way or a wrong way. I think it's just about 
again, empathy, trying to get inside their head, try and think, well, why are they reserved? Or why are they not giving me the same as the last client did? And what, what can it be? Is it that they're scared or they don't like being in front of the camera or the light's too bright or, you know, are they uncomfortable? Are they wearing, sometimes are they wearing a top that they're not happy with, but they're not mm. saying anything. Uh, they're just wearing this top because the photographer told them to put it on and actually mm -hmm. they hate that top. So okay. all of those little things and those little questions and interactions, I think, help to loosen people up. Mm -hmm. But we, we're in a privileged position most of the time with with headshots that actually we have time with the client. We're not going in. We're not shooting editorial where you have five minutes with the talent. Mm -hmm. You've got a good period of time to allow people to to warm up. And there are. There are situations with clients sometimes. My shoots tend to be two to three hours long. Some clients are so reserved or nervous or scared that it's a good hour or two into the shoot before they suddenly open up. It's like a flower blossoming. Like they suddenly something happens and they just let go of that worry or that angst or that stress. And you see them just slot into the groove a bit. Mm -hmm. And then you go, ah, oh, that's it. There mm -hmm. they are. You're here. You've arrived. It's taking yeah. you an hour, but you finally come in being yourself how does that affect you when you've got somebody who's just uptight you know you, you'll know this like you can see be talking to yeah, people yeah they're just fine you lift the camera to here and they physically kind of go like yeah, that yeah, yeah like does that affect horrible. you i, I mean <laughs> yeah it does yeah yeah just, I, I i think i I'm, I'm a kind of emotion feeder so i feed off mm -hmm. other people's emotions um so when someone is very uptight i inside i feel that that tension i feel mm -hmm. that i'm tight so then it's um i have to kind of battle against that and try and put them at ease i think music helps for me mm -hmm. music helps a lot i always play music in the studio i also tailor music to to whatever we're shooting so if we're shooting something you know serious and dramatic i might put some you know film music on or cinematic okay. music if it's upbeat i'll put some happy pop on if it's you know depending on what we shoot and also mm -hmm. what the client likes yeah, I think it's quite nice because the okay. music's such a great way to um, for people to kind of connect with an emotion. Yeah, and yeah. Feel comfortable. So setting the tone is in the shoot is is all up to the photographer, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I, and for me, setting the tone, I think, is is number one priority mm -hmm. over air, absolutely everything in the shoot. Mm -hmm. um, more than clothes, more than hair, more than lighting. It's it's getting that tone right and getting the client feeling comfortable and happy and and having an understanding with them because without that all the other stuff doesn't matter I yeah think. and i would just i would want to say for uh, people who are listening like you setting your tone is different than me setting the tone in my shoot you're yeah. going to be in your own way of doing that i think because um i think from what i've seen you you're quite uh, outgoing compared to the way i am on a shoot i'll be I'm pretty quiet naturally and I'll chat away, but I'll show like you, when you said about the doing the sort of clowny bit to let people help people relax and realize they can be silly or fun. Mm. I would do that. I would set that um, permission differently with yeah. vulnerability probably yeah. um, to say it's okay for you to be nervous or, or what I don't know. I would, I just, I would set it differently in a, in a, in a way that's appropriate to me. But I just wanted to note for people listening that they don't have to feel like they have to be whatever. Yeah, don't don't to, be the clown. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, no, they can if that's their thing. Yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's the right thing for that person, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's just about reading that client as well. Because, it, yeah. because you know, th throwing, throwing the clown in might just scare people away. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so you have to be a little bit cautious of when, when you pick these right. people to come out. I also, you know, I, 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 I do a lot of demonstrating with people facially because mm-hmm. I'm kind of, you know, if I say I want something serious, I'll, I'll show the client the kind of look I want mm-hmm. or I'll give the client, like sometimes I'll, I'll have like a bit of a chat and rapport with people whilst I'm shooting. You know, so if we're shooting re- something really serious and I want someone to look vaguely threatening, you know, I'll talk to them. I'll go, what are you looking at? Hey, you look, what are you mm-hmm. looking at me for? Mm-hmm. You know, the language might be a bit more expletive for yeah. this podcast, but, you know, you just say things and it gets a reaction out of people. And then, you know, on the other hand, if you want something softer, it might be about, you know, you know, just bring, changing your voice, your tone and your voice and then just mm-hmm. softening things up a little bit and saying, OK, we're, we're in a meadow mm-hmm. surrounded by butterflies. You know, it's just about giving people that scenario because shooting actors, they love to play deep down and they love to be those people and, you know, play around with scenarios. And like I said earlier, a lot of the time they don't want to be themselves. They want to pretend they're somewhere else, someone else. And that freedom to do that sometimes creates some some magic, which mm-hmm. is lovely. For where you are now, you've been at this for a while, as you said. What would be your goals going forward? I mean, where do you go from here as a photographer to develop? Is it about finding different looks, different places in the in the marketplace, or what would be your future development from where you are? I think. The issue we have as photographers, as headshot photographers, is that a lot of the time our style, certainly the way I shoot, dictates me being part of that business. I can't I can't step away tomorrow and hand my business over to Graham mm-hmm. because Graham's got a different eye to me yeah. and he's got a different way to shoot and a different interaction. So being a headshot photographer, I think, is very central to who you are and you being part of the business. So there's certainly on that side of things, there's no great retirement plan where I step away and sell my business because it just doesn't work like that. Um, And you'd find the same with any editorial photographer and, you know, all those big names. They can't just hand it over to someone else because it's all about the the artist and the eye. Um, I think where there is always room for expansion is things like corporate photography, corporate headshots, where you, you have a style that you dictate uh, and you can get other photographers to come and shoot it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, the same with, you know, I shoot I shoot a lot of theatre schools and shoot for some kids' agencies doing headshots, actors' headshots. And I think that's a lot more, um, it's a lot more formatted in its style. So it doesn't always rely on the photographer. Mm-hmm. It relies on someone with skill and it relies on someone with a lot of stamina most of the time, especially if you're shooting, you know, 80, 100 kids a day yeah. on some jobs. Um, but yeah, I think going forward for me personally, just on a, I mean, that's on a kind of, if I ever wanted to retire, um, but on a creative level, I think it's all about, it's all about changing. My style is always evolving anyway, mainly based on what I find in a skip, (laughs) bring into the studio. Uh, but I, uh, so f- I've got a shoot, a big shoot on Friday where I'm going to pack up a whole load of the studio and go out and do that. But what's going to happen is I'm going to pack most of my gear down, take it out of the studio. And what happens a lot of the time is when I come back and I start setting all my studio up again, I'll move the whole studio around mm-hmm. 
just because I can, because I've cleared everything. All the stands have been taken out. Everything's been taken out. And that for me is a really nice opportunity. Every time I go and shoot on location and I take all my stuff out, I come back and I just, I move stuff. I move, I've got lots of big walls on wheels and things in the studio. I'll shift that around and it will just change my whole perception of, of the studio. Mm-hmm. And I think anyone who feels that they're stuck in a rut photography wise and they've hit a point where they're shooting the same thing every day and they don't really know where to go with it i would say just completely change your change your room around change your studio around change your setup go to a new location because that little bit of and and yeah when i'm if i move my studio around the first client in on the so on monday first client in i will in the back of my head be going oh my god what am i doing (laughs) and you're almost doing it you're doing a test shoot on the client Mm -hmm. um but you'll find you'll find your groove and then you'll find little magical things you'd never you'd never notice. I've been in my current studio for three years and I, I yesterday I found a, a setup that I'd never done before. Um just a certain angle, a certain look, certain stuff in the background, and I just went, Wow, how have I never found that in three years? Mm. Shooting five days a week. I just you just don't you don't always see what's there. So getting out of the comfort zone I think is really important. Mm-hmm. to evolve your style so for me it would just be carrying on on, on that front um i do feel if i'm honest i feel from a from a marketing point of view because i shoot such a varied range it, it's almost difficult sometimes for people to know what i do mm-hmm. and that can i think in today's market that's a bit of a hindrance Mm-hmm. because there's those photographers they shoot really bright back, background shots they shoot really dark stuff they shoot this i kind of shoot a bit of everything so no one yeah. quite knows what they're going to get um so from a marketing point of view i think i've i've kind of hindered myself a little bit there but people that get it and people that understand it and people that follow my instagram and they they know that they can come and they can get whatever they want out of me because mm-hmm. we can adapt to their needs uh but but on a on a face value, if you went through my Instagram, you'd kind of be like, oh, I don't know what this is. Is it bright? Is it not? Is it commercial? Is it cinematic? Is it moody? Is it happy? Is it, it can be really difficult. It's a bit like, you know, actors and casting. I always say to whenever I'm shooting actors, you need to know your, your casting. And yeah, it can be a few different things. But if you have six or seven different casting types and they're all very opposite, no casting director is going to know what, what you are they're going to be too confused and they'll probably think you do you do a load of different things but you probably don't do any of them very well mm-hmm. like a jack of all trades master of none mm-hmm. so I, I worry sometimes that people go well i don't know i don't know what he does yeah it's it's really interesting to hear you say that like i was um i've been a commercial photographer for most of my career i was a landscape photographer for a few years and then lately came back to commercial and i, I knew this was the time i wanted to niche into something because commercial is quite broad but and so I decided to niche into headshots, corporate and casting. But even like you're saying, even within casting headshots, there there are niches within that niche, right? So, uh, or st- styles, I guess, yeah. um, where you someone's going to go, well, you feel looking at your own work going, well, maybe people don't know what I am. But to, to me outside, I don't think you have a problem with that. I mean, if you want a particular thing, then you're going to go to that person for the particular thing. But if you... I think anyone's going to look at your pictures and see the life in them and the style in them and, and the engagement in them. I, I, so I wouldn't, yeah, I, to me, as, and I understand also from the, your side, 
no way you want to do the same thing every time yeah. no way no way not the frequency that you're shooting yeah. um i mean you would that would be really tough to do yeah. so um yeah i think creative people are going to get that you're expressing yourself in that way and that you're engaging them and that the collaboration of it and yeah it's cool i think it's good that is good it's interesting you say you know you see the life life in my shots because for a long time people always said they go i love you i love your headshots and clients come in and say i love your headshots you just capture something in the eyes and and it took me a while at the beginning i, I used to think oh they obviously the catch light or the it's the reflector or the you know mm-hmm. they're talking about that but they they were talking about life and they were talking about an essence of emotion or character mm-hmm. um and it's always the the most common feedback i get is oh there's something in the eyes of your shot mm-hmm. and that's that's the biggest compliment to me because that's what i strive to to get is that connection so um i wanted to ask you about the aphp is that the yeah. right combination yeah, yeah. aphp yeah <laughs> or if yeah we could do the the former which is the association of uh, professional headshot photographers yeah it doesn't roll it's, off the tongue but no it's and because uh, whenever i've i've been aware of it for a while and i always in my head it's like the h ahp hph or something i don't know but um, <laughs> yeah. anyway it's the aphp so um can you talk about what that is and what would be what's good about it yeah so what the aphp was founded in 2016 there was, there was a group uh, back in kind of 2015 14, 15, there was kind of a group of headshot photographers. We just started to chat a bit on on Facebook. It, I think what happened was we suddenly realized that we're not rivals. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a whole load of us that had worked. It's a very lonely job being a headshot photographer. You know, you might work with different people all the time, but you're, you're working on your own most mm-hmm. of the time. So we kind of started connecting and chatting and talking about stuff. And we realized that we're all in the same game together um, and we're not rivals and that we can help each other and we can support each other. Uh, and it kind of grew and grew and grew. And this community grew of photographers uh, and people that I really looked up to who were, who'd been in the game for a long time. And so it was younger and older and it was a, such a lovely mix of people. And then we kind of, this, this idea was born. Actually, we had, we had the casting directors guild. Um, you have the, uh, professional managers association, which is the agent association within the industry, but there was nothing for headshot photographers, which is mm-hmm. such a big part of, of the industry was headshots. And what we wanted to create really was a, was this kind of, I call it a stamp of approval, but something that was a trusted brand within the industry. Mm-hmm. because what we were seeing a lot of was actors being ripped off by people who were saying, oh yeah, I can do your headshot. Just cost it. will only cost you 150 quid. And they were delivering nowhere near what was a professional level headshot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so by creating the APHP, what it was, is, was that actually all the members could say that I am an APHP member. So agents could rely on that. Casting directors could rely on that brand. And then, and, and what's happened and evolved over the years is that now we have lots of lovely agents and drama schools that will recommend APHP photographers because they know that they're going to get a, a decent quality uh, professional headshot from our members. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously with that came, we, we tied it up with lots of other things and, you know, all our members have to be fully insured and all the rest of it. So it's just, it's a, it's a trustworthy brand, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. Um, but also on the on the back end was community. Yeah. It was about creating a community for the photographers. So not only 
well, we do we do lots of workshops with members. We do. Uh, we're just about to release this year's set of workshops where we're going to, you know, we get professionals to come and host workshops. Or last year we did a lot of online ones mm-hmm. um, with some really great people just talking about their work or actually doing workshops on various things of photography, whether it's technical stuff or, you know, we we had a great one with a actually a Scottish guy, David, who talked about printing um and you know what's required in printing and the real technical breakdown um which would bore most people but as photographers we get quite excited about about mm-hmm. you know um rgb levels and all the rest of it yeah. so things like that is a great benefit to members too um so yeah it's it's kind of it's grown and grown and grown and it's it's become a really it's a really beautiful thing uh we also we do a bursary for for drama schools so every year the APHP gives away 25 free shoots to drama schools. Mm-hmm. So every member agrees to um, give up a shoot for free okay. for someone in financial need, which has been really lovely. And it's been really well received um, mm-hmm. throughout the industry just by, you know, students are poor anyway, but then there are some students that are genuinely struggling financially. Mm-hmm. And when you have to pay two or 300 pounds for headshots, it's a, yeah. that's a big, a big old outlet. So that's been really lovely mm-hmm. as well. So I'll put a link in the show notes. People can find out more about that. And um, it's definitely something that's on my radar as well. Okay, let's jump into the gear round, okay? So when you're picking up the camera, what are you picking up? What camera and lens is your favorite? Uh, so I've just got an uh, R5, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, first, first mirrorless SLR I've had I've had a few mirrorless smaller cameras but it's the first SLR mirrorless um which I really love it's great it's got eye detection now I don't have to do any work mm-hmm. just <laughs> which is ter- terrifying is that good reliable it's, yeah it's incredible yeah I found it quite reliable to be honest okay. um I'm not shooting at super low um apertures that actually you know I'm not I'm not a 1.2 or anything mm-hmm. I generally I'm kind of hanging around f4 so so the eye detections worked really well for me. Uh, what is annoying is that the you know the they've changed the lens mount on it, and I've mm-hmm. still got I've probably got five or six um, of the older mount lenses. So I've just right. got a lens adapter on that. Uh, but generally, to be honest, my my go to lens would be a seventy to two hundred for headshots, mm-hmm. purely because it gives me that little bit of range if I need to get in and out. I can make things a little bit wider, but the mm-hmm. compression on it. I just, I've got an 85, which I shoot quite a bit with. Um, but the, yeah, the 7200 for me, I just love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. It's a big lens and it's heavy, but it, I, I've, there's no other lens that I, that I love as much as that. The 85, I like if I, I, I like to get in close with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't tend to shoot wider portrait stuff with it. I've got a 24 to 70 if I if I want to do more portrait stuff, but the 85 I like to get in a little bit closer because it kind of adds a vulnerable edge when you're when you're that much closer. Yeah. But the other thing with the 7200 for me is I don't like to be in people's faces too much. Mm-hmm. I like to keep a distance. I found over the years that when you're a little bit further back from your client, then they they feel a bit freer to give you more than mm-hmm. if you're right up in their face. Mm-hmm. They feel a bit a bit. I don't know. It's a bit intimidating sometimes. I've yeah. got friends that shoot headshots on 50 mil lenses and they're, they're about a foot away from the client. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah. it, I think it's really, I mean, it can create a really nice, vulnerable, raw feeling. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, for me personally, it's a bit too much in their space. I want to give them a little bit of distance because I don't think in, in life we're never that close to strangers. I, don't, I think it becomes a bit, it's in their space too much. Yeah, not now it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's the other thing. Like the 7200 in, in uh, yeah, when we had COVID was, was yeah, great. I could that's the only stay as far available. away. <laughs> <laughs> so, Shooting on a 400 mil from the back of the room. Yeah, yeah, totally. From the other side of the street. So you're, it's it's really interesting, like, because uh, 85, I, I always like the 85. When I put it on, it looks right, you know, like the way the picture looks. But I've been more on the 70 to 200 the last few months, actually. And there was a guy I was photographing yesterday. I was doing this shoot with some guys to try and figure out a couple of guy lighting setups. And um, I just had the 85 on because I felt like I wanted that more intimacy, like you like you suggested. And it was like, you know, it was sort of okay. But when I went, took a step back with the 70 to 200 and, and really pushed it in, it just brought the picture to life on that particular yeah. setup. So, um, yeah, like the compression and it gave the guy a presence that the yeah. 85 wasn't giving him. So it's really interesting how the lens it's, really makes a difference in the it picture. It really does. And I think from a, one, of, one of the other things I strive to get in my shots is that they look like the person. And that's, mm-hmm. the, again, the greatest feedback a client gives me at the end of the shoot when we look through images they go oh they look like me that's mm-hmm. the greatest compliment because that's what we're kind of striving to do and i do think the 70 to 200 for me is is the the realist looking lens mm. i think that compression does tend to make people look how we see them every day across a room whereas mm-hmm. the 85 and the 50s and things like that when you're up close you would have to be be that close to someone in real life which we very rarely are mm-hmm. not to strangers you might be to your partner or whatever but um i think it just does something to the to the facial structure and it's also it's a bit more flattering Mm-hmm. I think your face feels so round when you're in close with this kind of like slightly more fisheye feel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love the, the, the photographer Platon, you know, mm-hmm. he shoots amazing stuff and he is mm-hmm. a lot of the time he's in real close. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of distorts people's faces a little bit and he's got a real style to it. Um, but yeah, from again, from a casting shot point of view, I think it just tends to feel a bit more real. Yeah. I love Platon. He's one of my favorite photographers. Amazing, he's right? just amazing. Um, so what I was going to pick up on there was, um, you said like when people say it looks like them, um, something, I think I spoke with John about this was people's perception of how they look and (laughs) how they really look. (laughs) Can that be a challenge sometimes? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I blame the iPhone. Um, yeah, the, I mean, this, the whole thing with selfies has changed the way that people interact with cameras I've found over the last 10 years. Um, and they did, you know, the, the way that cameras flip images in reverse. Mm-hmm. And this is what I say to people a lot. When you look in a mirror, you're seeing a flip reverse version of yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's why most of the time when a client sees a photo, they go that, you know, if you show someone a photo of themselves, they go, Oh, I don't know. I look weird, but they don't look weird. They look like mm-hmm. themselves. Um, what they, you know, sometimes I've done it in the past where I will then flip it in Photoshop and go, what do you think of that? And they'll go, oh, I like that. Right, well, that okay. looks, looks nothing like you because in reality your nose goes the other way and your mm. left ear sticks out not the right so we're so used to seeing flip reverse versions of ourselves it distorts our whole reality mm-hmm. um, and then that mixed with filters that are naturally on everything now uh, it's it's really tough it is really tough 
And I, there is a big divide, I find, between females and males when it comes to headshots, because I think men, we embrace getting older a bit better, mm-hmm. certainly from an acting point of view, you know, having lines. My client yesterday, he was so proud of having his gray hairs come through. It was a returning mm-hmm. client. And he was like, look, I've gone gray since I last shoot. Uh, we embrace that. We love it. And our and agents, you know, they say to you, oh, it's great. You're looking older. You're feeling more mature. Whereas I think women, even still now, um, feel and the industry puts this thing on them that, you know, it's not, you have to grow old gracefully. You can't, mm. you know, you have to look attractive. You have to look pretty. You can't get lines and get wrinkles. And, and that feeds into the way that people come into shoots. Uh, and I struggle a lot with, with, clients and you know certainly women older women who come in and they say oh it's great you can just retouch all my lines out right mm-hmm, yeah. you can get rid of all my bags and you can do this and i say we can tweak we can we can i'll help you out a little bit and i'm mm-hmm. going to light you to the most flattering i can but i want to avoid i, I ch- my job really is to narrow disappointment so when a, a casting director, it's a bit like a dating app, you know, you, you, you go, oh, that's nice. Swipe right. And then you meet them and go, oh, my Lord. Yeah. You know, it's about the same with a casting director. When when they you walk into an audition room, they look up from your headshot on the on the desk in front of them and they go, oh, hi. Yeah. Rather than looking up and going, oh, no, please. No, <laughs> it's it's a really difficult thing. So uh, it is hard to manage. It is hard to manage. And I think that conversation and that discussion that I have with clients mm-hmm. about the, the their casting and where they are realistically, I think mm-hmm. helps to feed that into their subconscious that, you know, yes, you might be getting a bit older and you're not the 20 something old uh, ingenue anymore and your, your casting has changed, but that is a good thing. Yeah. Um, and you only have to look at TV and you see all these other actors and actresses in your age and casting bracket who are doing really successfully and no one's trying to make them look younger or look any Mm -hmm. different they are who they are so trying to trying to get that across and also Mm -hmm. that you know your your essence and your character is what counts and it's not about the the outside things i love and i love clients who come in i had a girl a while back who had had you know she had really sticky out ears bless her she loved it and she said uh, she came in and she said, look, look at my weird little pixie ears. Let's mm. show them off. So mm-hmm. we did a load of shots with her hair up, with her ears sticking out. Cause she's like, they're there, you know, they exist. I'm not going to hide them. I've spent years covering them up with hair, but actually mm. people are going to see it. So why not embrace it? And I thought that was lovely. Yeah. And I, I enjoy those clients that come in and the clients that come in and say, I've got one eye bigger than the other. And I've got, my mouth is slightly drooped on the left. It's a lovely, uh, it's really nice when you can tell a client has sat and analysed themselves in an honest way. It must be really important for an actor to really know what their face can do, right? I yeah, would imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also not just trying to emphasise that it's not about comparing yourself to someone else. You're not trying to look like Tom Hardy and you're not trying to look like whoever. It's just you are you. And mm-hmm. actually you're the fact that your left ear sticks out could get you a job because yeah. they like it. It makes you look different. Yeah, you know, noses are a big one. You know, big noses. People get so paranoid. Oh, my nose is big, though. You can't change it. You could if you had surgery, but don't do it because actually the nose is the thing that makes your characteristics and your features different from everyone else. Mm -hmm. So you might as well embrace it. Yeah. Um, Just on the still on the topic of gear, then I was interested to know about 
the lighting gear that you have because I, I think we touched on it before but it's maybe it's a bit of this and a bit of that right could you talk a little bit about that it's yeah i mean it's everything really so it's a, on a daily basis i'll probably mix um shooting i've got five or six big bow and studio lights if i'm doing really studio lit stuff then down to uh just speed lights um because they're so portable and so small mm -hmm. with I just shoot with bounds adapters so I can change out whatever I want to put in front of them and I can put soft boxes on but they're they're small enough and they're low power enough that I can blend with natural light really easily yeah which I love so if I if I was to try and use my studio flashes for that they're just too bright mm -hmm. they're too powerful to mix so the the good thing about those small speed lights is I can just get them in tiny spaces and I can bring them in closer or above people without too much stress and and they're low enough power that I can just remotely just power them down and I just have them on a remote on top of the camera so I can uh, take it up or down as as and when I need it and also you know cut them out and just flick a switch and cut out the lights completely if I need to but then I'll also I'll throw in some LEDs every now and again mm -hmm. um, again got some small LED panels that I can fit in tight spaces or colored LEDs for background sometimes and then recently I've, I've just I dug out an old uh, Parcam uh, theater light, big old orange glowing thing, which has just been lying around for years and years and years. I've got a new bulb for it. And it, it's, you know, it's a thousand watt. It's a big old bright thing, but it just creates this amazing orange glow, which you can bounce off stuff. And, mm -hmm. and I love that creative thing of what took me a long time is when I, I used to shoot outdoors and shoot studio and I couldn't get what was different between the two styles. I was still, I was in the studio, I was still shooting some natural light, but it just didn't have the same feel as the outdoor shots. And what I realized is that when you're outdoors, you've got light bouncing off 23 different things mm -hmm. coming and some of it's bouncing off orange and some's bouncing green and blue and, and people's faces pick up all those different little bits of shadow and light. And, and when you're in the studio, you have one window, which is creating one constant color of light on a person's face and you don't get that same feeling of bouncing light around and it doesn't feel as natural. So I, I kind of had to learn not to be as strict with like, here is my one window light mm -hmm. and here is my reflector and here is this. So I started to kind of just fire lights off stuff and bounce things off mirrors. And, and suddenly you found this, this new dimension of, of lighting like you would have outdoors where it's not just one, one thing. It's a, it's a whole load of different, temperatures and brightness coming from all different angles mm -hmm. but it took me a long time again like we were talking about earlier you're trying to get your head out of the technical aspect of it should be you know you should have your rembrandt lighting 45 degrees here it, i just had to get my head out of that space a bit mm -hmm. uh, and allow the uh, allow the light to play around a bit more but at the same time always trying to monitor it and have my have my visual eye Mm -hmm. that says that doesn't look right why oh, i need to flag some light here well, that doesn't look right why that's a bit too bright at the back you've always got that going on as well mm -hmm. um but yeah cutting cu cutting the strict photographer brain off a bit mm -hmm. i think was the key i've got two questions follow up to that but one is like do you lay in bed at night and just thinking oh i could put this uh, against this and get that thing in the back there and then that would be a different thing oh maybe i'll try that tomorrow 
No, I think I think oh, it's more organic. <laughs> no, yeah, I think I think I don't tend to overthink stuff like that. I think it does happen a bit more organically. It happens mm-hmm. in the moment a lot of the time. Okay, like as I'm setting up for a client because I can't I can't anticipate. I say, oh, I've got this great setup I want to do with a client tomorrow. I can't anticipate my client's going to suit that. Yeah, so I kind of over the years I've done that, but I've then set myself up for disappointment when a client's arrived and I thought, ah. Oh, that's not going to suit them or I can't do that now. So what tends to happen is I'll go, right, I'm going to try this. Oh, do you know what would be really good? I could put that there and that there. And, you know, sometimes I'm setting stuff up and say, oh, I'll just grab a seat. I'm just going to be a couple more minutes because I want to try something new or move things around. Mm-hmm. Be, being a headshot photographer, I think, is phenomenal because, you know, you've got a client coming in, paying you to do headshots. And providing that you are a good photographer and you know what you're doing, you have the ability every day to test on clients, paying mm-hmm. clients. Mm-hmm. So... If, I, if I've got a client come in and we're well ahead of schedule and I've got everything I need, I'll throw a completely random new setup in and it might look rubbish. I might only put a few shots in their gallery, but it gives me a chance to play with something new. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm getting paid to do it as well, which is just phenomenal. That mm-hmm. never happens in life. But um, you, you've got these clients that are really willing to try new things. And some of, honestly, some of the test shots that I've done over the years with clients have been some of the best headshots I've taken. Okay. Um, just through playing and through mm-hmm. it, it takes a certain client to be able to do that because like i said you have to get the shots you want first before you can allow yourself freedom to play but that yeah it's a really lovely unique place you wouldn't get that like being an editorial photographer going in and doing a you know 10 15 minute shot with a a-list celebrity you don't have time to play as much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm very lucky in that respect that my work is evolving because i'm being allowed to try stuff mm-hmm. Good. let me ask uh, still just to finish off this segment and um are you doing your processing yourself or do you send that out so i've got a retoucher that i send retouching to but my my kind of gallery and my processing i i do myself a lot of my stuff is shot in camera so mm-hmm. i don't do a huge amount of you know fluffing around in post-production apart from some skin retouching mm-hmm. um so i've got a couple of kind of basic uh filters that i'll run through stuff i shoot tethered in the studio so stuff's coming up on the screen as i shoot mm-hmm. um so i might have some some kind of import settings that will go on um but that's mainly that's mainly to reflect so i've got a canon profile that i use because i don't like the adobe one that Lightroom does. I think it flattens everything. Mm-hmm. So I've got a Canon profile, which I've tweaked a little bit, which kind of a portrait, Canon portrait, which I think is just a bit better on skin and color tones. Okay. But that's, that's pretty much it. A lot of my stuff is done in camera. So it kind of, it is what you see all my stuff on Instagram. I haven't really tweaked much, uh, unless it's more portrait stuff that I've put up, but it's the headshot stuff is pretty much as, as you see, mm-hmm. but yeah, skin, skin retouching, I'll put out to a retoucher. Um, let's go to the round which I call double exposure, okay? If you've still got a few minutes, because I know we're, we're yeah, 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 crack on, yeah. Okay, so yeah. Um, usually I want to ask someone about a particular picture which I'm really into. There's a couple I wanted to talk with you about, and I don't think we'll do them all. But the, the shoot that you did the other week with a, a young lady called EJ Golding, she just looks amazing. I mean, that must have just been an easy day at work. But <laughs> um, I was interested to ask about the latest one that you put up because there's a lot of range in that. Um, that's with Jordan Pitt. And then the other one I wanted to ask you about was 
William Grint, who I think is a deaf actor, which I wanted, was yeah, really yeah. keen to ask how that experience was. But um, if we go to the latest one with Jordan, um, I just the first picture on on that sort of mini gallery on Instagram, he looks kind of like a tough guy. The next one, he looks like a sort of school teacher, kind of there's a fun and vulnerability about him. The next one, he's back to being tough. Then there's a silly one. I just it was really cool to get that range out of somebody. I know we've talked about shooting and everything, but to go into that specific scenario, give us an idea maybe of the flow of that couple of hours shoot. Of course, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah so I mean, uh, that. so Jordan, for example, we've shot before together, so I had a kind of good idea of, of him and his his kind of casting anyway mm -hmm. but we sit in and any client that comes in that i've shot before i'll always kind of get an update and i'm like where are we at now so he kind of talked to me about where he's going with it and he's one of those actors who i had this chat with him he's actually he is a really versatile actor mm -hmm. so he can play the nerd or he can play the tough guy um you know and he's a he's a, i say he's a young he's kind of 40 ish but um you know he's a He's a young black actor and he could easily be cast like typecast as the kind of street hoodie character and he's from London and stuff. But but actually he plays this kind of softer, nerdy and the dad thing really well. Mm -hmm. So there was a, a really big range there that we could play with. So what I'll tend to do, knowing what that what the different looks are that we want to get and having talked about it, client will get the clothes out. So he'll get all his stuff out. We'll have a look at the wardrobe because he's had a think about it. And he said, well, this is my kind of like friendly dad look. And this is my street hoodie look. And this is whatever. And then based on that and having all those outfits and having in mind what we're going to shoot, we'll go, right, well, we're going to start with this look. So I'll, like I said earlier, I'll start with something a bit more neutral. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll just start with something really simple and neutral. And then I'll just, we'll kind of roll through that shoot bearing in mind all those different scenarios and those different castings so just going back to what you were saying the first one is a bit more neutral it's a bit more just plain canvas background i've got some natural light in fact that's all natural light it's just window with a reflector behind him um and it's just kind of essence of him bit of vulnerability in there uh the next one was was nerdy it's like office nerd guy you know it's kind of bit geeky he's got mm -hmm. he wears glasses as well so that kind of helps um and then after that we we went to this kind of bit more dangerous and but but every time i'm going through these scenarios and saying saying to the client right go and change into this we're doing this next i'm just changing the studio around mm -hmm. and i've got my studio set up so that actually everything is is kind of set upable in you know in a couple of minutes mm -hmm. we can just move some bits around and then i kind of know where i'm going to shoot so I just approach it essentially on however many different characters we shot yesterday, seven, seven characters, seven different setups that we're just going to hit. And everyone is, is reflecting that. So I'm, I'm not going to put him in, in the kind of like nerdy, nerdy, nerdy shot. And then I'm going to try and get him as a mean nerd or a, I'm just going to get him as friendly nerd mm -hmm. because there's, I don't, I don't need a mean nerd and I don't need those different aspects. I just want to capture that one look. Um, so I'll kind of shoot a load of stuff along those lines and then we're done and we can move on to the next one. So yeah, trying to, trying to take it on that basis, but it, it just to kind of cite the other one that you'd mentioned about EJ Goddard, like she mm -hmm. was amazing and she had such a strong look. She had this bright red hair. Mm -hmm. Um, she had all these piercings and things and it just, it just worked. And, mm -hmm. um, it's this idea we were talking about earlier about, uh, both those clients, in fact, and, and, um, 
yeah, we'll talk in a minute as well about the shoot I did with William Grin. Yeah. Because all three of those clients that you cited all had a charisma about them. Mm-hmm. They all had something unique and they had that little bit of X factor that makes my job easier mm-hmm. because they're giving me a whole load of stuff. And a lot mm-hmm. of the time I'm pulling people down. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, okay, give it a little bit less. It's okay. You you know, their image is so strong. EJ Goddard, she had this crazy red hair, like mm-hmm. bright, bright red hair. And she's a beautiful girl. So actually I didn't have to do much to make her look exciting. Mm-hmm. And you do get those clients sometimes that are, um, you know, they're slightly beige. Mm -hmm. You know, they're kind of generic looking beige people who you go, right, how can I make this look exciting now? I'm going to do some exciting lighting or I'm going to get you wearing some clothes that make you pop and make you stand out. And you end up having to kind of roll them in glitter a little bit to Mm -hmm. get them looking a bit more dynamic. Mm -hmm. Whereas, yeah, those people just... And and you've probably picked them out for that reason because they do stand out and they do mm-hmm. look, they do look exciting. But the, again, the range, the range comes from uh, from that ability to play as well. Because I do have clients that I I don't capture as much range with, mainly because I'm really struggling to get the first look. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm spending like half an hour just shooting the first look with them because they're just not giving me what I need. And by the time I get it, I move on to the next look. There's another half an hour of just trying to get that next look. Mm-hmm. So you're really having to bring people out your shell. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, yeah, Jordan, yesterday, uh, we would, in fact, we were finished early. Like we were done okay. within, we were probably only shooting for about an hour, hour and a half. We managed okay. to get six or seven looks easy. So, so yeah, that it's a really easy one. Um, William Grint was incredible a few weeks ago. So he's the first, so I've shot deaf actors before, but they're lip reading deaf actors. Whereas William okay. brought an interpreter with him, mm-hmm. uh, which I was really, I was really nervous about. And I was really dubious about because deaf actors, there's a certain amount of my silliness and little words I say, and I might throw things at people mid shoot just to get them to laugh or break it up. Mm-hmm. And I was worried I was going to lose any of that. Because I've got a camera in front of my face, so you can't see me saying things. I and mean, yeah. he couldn't lip read. He needed an interpreter. It was probably by far one of the easiest shoots I've done this year. It was just unbelievably easy. And I think two reasons. A, he was just really good and he had a lovely charisma on camera. But I could just give him a look and he would perfectly mirror what I did. Okay. I would squint my eyes just ever so slightly and he would do exactly the same amount of squint Mm -hmm. because he was a visual person Mm -hmm. because he didn't rely on sounds. He didn't rely on direction like that. He relied on looking at people and seeing what they wanted to do. So I would lower my camera and just give him a look with my eyes and Mm -hmm. he would do exactly what I wanted to do. Or I would just turn my shoulders slightly and he would turn his shoulders. So the interpreter was incredible and she was great to have there, but almost didn't need her. Mm-hmm. And it goes to show how some actors and, and, you know, you have able hearing actors who have the same thing. They just have an ability to to mimic and mirror and see what you want them to do and actually encompass that in their body. It, mm-hmm. it, it was just incredible. So what went from me being quite nervous and worried about how the shoot was going to go and how the flow was going to go mm-hmm. turned into just, yeah, it's just so easy. It was incredible. Yeah. So really happy. That's so interesting. I was usually I, at this point, I would flip the question back to you and ask if there's a really memorable shoot or moment from your career. 
I don't know if, if that's if that's a good answer that we've already had or if there's anything think, else. Yeah, I think yeah. it is. I think I think uh, mainly for that reason, the fact that I, from what I thought was going to be a really painful and hard shoot mm-hmm. just turned out to be a really beautiful experience. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, okay, bringing it home. Final round is motor drive. Okay, quick fire questions. All right. Okay. Bring it. All right. This one I know which way you're going to go. Wide angle or telephoto? Telephoto. Coffee or tea? Coffee. New question for this week. Stay up late or get up early? Stay up late. Uh, Expensive lens cloth or corner of your shirt? Corner of your shirt. Go to emoji. Um, Puzzled face with a monocle. (laughs) <laughs> okay <laughs> another one um okay kind of came up earlier but what's the best photo shoot music cinematic for me okay so you're looking for some Hans zimmer or which way you yeah going stuff like that i've got a playlist of all sorts of random stuff i've kind of accumulated over the years but the reason i i always say cinematic uh is that you put it on and it creates emotion mm-hmm. you don't have to do anything mm-hmm um so a lot of stuff like period so everyone who comes in wanting a slight period drama look put cinematic music on i don't need to say a single word they just they put it into their body and the way they stand (laughs) it's incredible so yeah that would be that would be my go-to other than that it would probably be some motown or soul music because i don't think you can offend anyone with that yeah yeah that tends to be my like walk in the room music when people arrive Mm -hmm. because everyone feels a bit upbeat and a bit happy with that kind of stuff absolutely um what's a weird thing i can find in your camera kit or in your studio oh you can probably find loads of weird stuff in my studio um it's like the weirdest thing you use day to day because i know you you use some different kind of stuff yeah like one of my go-to backgrounds is a is an old whiteboard which i found in a skip again lots uh-huh. of things found in skips a <laughs> uh, big one massive one so it's about four foot by three foot whatever it's huge metal sheet which i've got hanging from a pentagraph in my studio which i can move around mm-hmm. but uh one side where it was white i've now painted it blue but the back side where it was stuck to the piece of board that it was on so I've, it's a sheet of metal essentially that i've taken out um but the back side where it was glued on and peeled off it's kind of this gray color where all the glue was it's mm-hmm. all a bit dirty and a bit it's just lines and stuff and you'll mm-hmm. see it in loads of my shots so you'll probably think it's a canvas background mm-hmm. but it was just the back of this this whiteboard i found in a skip um took apart and hung up yeah so. i it's i love it I, when i was talking to john clark he was talking about the background that he used and he was saying oh it's a mirror or it was reflective or something and it's perspex I, mirrors yeah yeah and i didn't understand i was just like oh yeah okay but i didn't really understand it at the time um but i was just sort of i didn't want to embarrass myself by not knowing what he was on about yeah. but um yeah it's seeing and now i know now i know and i i just mm-hmm. get the value of just having that funky kind of stuff in the background it's awesome i'm right into it so um i'm gonna go dumpster diving for whiteboards yeah okay. the next next opportunity because that's the that's the secret of your success right so um okay maybe you can name a photographer we should all know about or just a great photographer in your niche or out with i think i mentioned him earlier but marco grove i think is just incredible i think he's he just the way he captures something from people at the same time as doing just these most amazing dynamic uh lighting setups Mm -hmm. and flagging i think is beautiful he's got such a lovely understanding of of sculpting the face which i love 
Um, well, you know, one of my one of my peers uh, is a guy called Adam Hills, mm-hmm. uh, who's a headshot photographer, and I just think he he has an amazing technical understanding of photography, and a bit like me is always evolving and changing and trying stuff out, and I kind of really respect the stuff he does. Who else? I tell you, I tell you, a guy I love. And I just think he's just a wonderful human. And we actually did an APHP chat with him. He's Art, Art Schrober. I don't know if you know his work. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's an LA editorial photographer. But he does, you should go and follow him because he does the most amazing behind the scenes posts on uh, on Instagram. So he'll post his cover for whatever TV series he's just shot or posters mm-hmm. and things like that. And then his next post will be a full breakdown of all the kit they used, where they shot, how they did it. Mm-hmm. And having done the talk with him last year, just the most lovely giving man ever. Okay. Um, you should get him on the podcast because he was just incredible. He's actually on my list yeah. for, next, for the yeah, next batch. Because um, um, I'm same as you. Just um, It's amazing. Amazing work. Mm. And I think he's just... What was lovely is very he's very giving in what he does, and I I think that really struck struck home with me. And I think off the back of that, it's probably because I only really started doing lots of behind the scenes last year. Um, I think that probably inspired me a little bit to, mm-hmm. to do more of that kind of thing. Have you found with that be, the behind the scenes stuff that you have been doing, does it make any difference in your career in terms oh, it's, of? Yeah, do you know what it's made a huge impact on uh, on yeah clients and clients booking in mm-hmm. because they see that and they think oh actually this looks quite fun mm-hmm. this is fine headshots are not what I thought they were yeah. so it's made a big impact on that front uh, and I think also like you get other photographers and I've, it's funny because I follow lots of headshot photographers you see people kind of copying styles and doing bits with you know mirrors in the background and stuff oh, okay mm-hmm. you've obviously been watching that and you know <laughs> you see their style starting to change and evolve but yeah. i'm fine with that because actually a lot of the stuff i do is about my interaction with clients you can't you can't steal that yeah you can take all the i like there isn't really an original idea left mm-hmm. um plagiarism is the best form of flattery like you can take my ideas i've probably stole them off someone else originally so yeah. um i don't mind that but i know that they can't mimic my my business model and how i how i treat clients so uh, yeah it, it makes me if i see everyone shooting what i shoot i'll go and change and do something else it kind mm-hmm. of keeps you on your toes a bit but the giving and the sharing i think is is a big part of it for me mm-hmm. funny enough funny story when i started doing more sto- uh, behind the scenes stories last year uh my wife, I'd come, I'd come over from the studio and she'd go, what the hell were you doing today in the studio? <laughs> and I go, what do you mean? She goes, that video is nuts. Like, what are you, did you have too much coffee? And she said to me, she went, I don't know if you should be posting these because people are <laughs> going to think you're a weirdo. And I went, I am a weirdo. <laughs> they need to know what they can expect. So I kind of, I like the idea that you see my behind the scenes and the madness that happens in my studio and you can't like if you like it, come for a shoot because mm-hmm. that's how we're going to be, and we're going to muck about, we're going to have fun with it. Um, if you want to take yourself super serious, don't come with me because mm-hmm. it's not. I'm probably not the right photographer for you. Yeah. Because um, I like to play around and have some fun with it. Yeah, you can so, rely on your wife for blunt honesty. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly. Um, though, what I like about your BTS. BTS behind the scenes um and I'm trying to do it with my own is because I'm putting time into trying to make the behind the scenes I'm not doing it well but I know it'll get better at it um it's not it's catered to clients it's not catered to photographers it's not like oh so I'm featuring with yeah, an Ellen yeah. Chrome one today and 
a 60 inch umbrella that's for a photographer <laughs> yeah. but you really need to reach yeah. clients and i think your one it cuts right through it's brilliant last question you'll be glad yeah. to know at 90 minutes here um great. when do you feel at peace with the universe probably so i'm a snowboarder so probably on the top of a mountain on the top of a mountain when all you can hear is just a that's a very 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 happy place for me totally appreciate it nick this has been fantastic i'm sure people will get a lot out of this and if they didn't at least i did so it wasn't (laughs) a complete waste of time but um so appreciate your time and uh, yeah all the best thanks a lot yeah thanks a lot cheers thanks for listening follow nick on instagram to see his amazing photography and his behind the scenes videos that we spoke about which are so rich and give you so much uh, information about what he does and how he's doing it links to everything we spoke about are in the show notes and if you enjoyed this episode then check out my conversations with gregory heisler and john clark that's it for now take care enjoy your photography i'll see you out there